Hello everyone, welcome to the Will Harris Show. I'm your host, Will Harris, and today we have a very special episode. But before I get to the episode, I have a few announcements. So I branched out my podcast to Spotify now, and also Anchor. So if you want to check that out, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, the link will be in the description. And also, I'm going to continue to live stream my podcast on Twitch and then upload the recording to multiple platforms. And I'm still working on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And one more announcement is that I will be having my email open for questions or concerns or suggestions. So my email is thewillharrisshow at gmail.com. So if you have any questions, email me there. So I have a very special guest. He is the first conservative I've had on the show, which is very special because we want to have as many unique perspectives as possible. So welcome to the show, Joe. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Will? I'm also pretty good. So we have a lot to talk about today, but the biggest thing is the environment. So right now, the argument at Washington, D.C. between Democrats and Republicans is whether or not climate change exists. And then I guess within the Democratic Party, it's how to solve climate change with people like AOC or Bernie Sanders proposing the Green New Deal and other politicians that are more moderate, like Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, having much more moderate or realistic proposals. So as a conservative who typically caucuses with Republicans, why do you think that Republicans are just ignoring climate change? Um, well, I don't think the majority... To, to talk about the, the topic... I don't think all Republicans are ignoring climate change. Um, there are some that are being idiotic in my mind, and like you said, ignoring it, just denying its um, existence, which I think is obviously insane because uh, the Republican Party should be the party of science. I think that goes um, fully well, against both, both um, parties. Should be, both parties should be the party of science. There shouldn't be like one party of science. You're right. I mean, both should be on science, but that's one of the reasons I find myself a Republican, as I think it's backed more by science. But this is one issue that a lot of Republicans who are climate change deniers or skeptics um, um, just, I think, hurt the party in that facet. Um, but there are some Republicans, like I'm a big fan of Dan Crenshaw, who is an acknowledgement of climate change and gives um, some solutions to com combat it. Um, but I think there's just a lot of Republicans are obviously um, usually much older. I think they just are, are less willing to accept a um, climate change. And just that the fact that it could, it, how, like Green New Deal, other um, ways that have been ruin our economy issue. So I think a lot of them just want to deny it for that reason but i don't think that's a good enough reason yeah so you bring up some interesting points and another thing i think that contributes to this is that there basically is no republican party right now at least at the federal level there's only a trump party and trump is obviously a firm denier of climate change uh, for whatever reason but yeah because it, it, i it's really interesting because richard nixon was the uh, president who enacted the epa which protects the environment and then i also was watching a campaign ad from like 1990s from George H.W. Bush and he was bragging about being pro-environment so it's a really interesting transformation that's gone on through this as well as party and yes age is a contributing factor um, and also I feel like I don't know I feel like a lot of Republicans you, you disagree with this but I feel like at least right now the Republican Party is kind of the anti-science party with like mask wearing and stuff 
That's obviously uh, generalizing the party a lot, but yeah. Um, if you want to talk about, I, I'm just thinking more of the mask wearing um, comment and those other ones, but you want to talk about like the EPA and Richard Nixon and this house, like many Republicans are still big proponents of the environment in some regards. Yeah. It's not really climate change. Like they all want, like Trump's big, uh, has been a big advocate of like clean water, clean air. That's what Mike Pence said in the debate. Um, they, they are like Republicans are hunters, fishers, outdoors people. Like I myself, I ski, I go to national parks. Like I don't think right. they all want, they don't want the whole place to just turn into a trash pile with like horrible air. But then the question comes down to global warming, which is a much bigger, bigger issue because you can't like its effects could be much bigger and you can't really see it's a lot harder to see the effects and try to prove people. So like on your like Richard Nixon comments, it's not as much, it's not as much Republicans have ever, I don't think changed on their belief that they want like clean water, clean air and things like that. It's that a lot of them have not been willing to accept um, that our planet is warming. Yes. that's Or true. why that is. Yeah. And Sorry. yeah, that, that is true. And I really think that the argument in Washington and DC between Democrats and Republicans should be how to solve climate change. You know what I mean? Instead of the existence, which that's something the Republican Party is going to have to change, in my opinion, because one of the biggest, if I could vote, one of the biggest reasons why I'll go Democrat is because they're, they're the only party that's actually like concerned about climate change or even acknowledging it. But yeah, like I said, I think the dispute should be about how we solve climate change. So you mentioned the Green New Deal when you were just talking, which is basically the biggest proposal at the federal level for climate change. And you did say that it would like destroy the economy. I would rephrase that to replace the economy because the whole goal of the deal is to replace the, uh, our current fossil fuel and coal economy to a green new deal econ like sorry to a environment safe economy but so if the green new deal doesn't work in your opinion for economic purposes what like solutions do you think we could realistically achieve um well on the green new deal front i mean there's really two green new deals you have your aoc one you have your bernie sanders one the aoc one is um it, it estimates put it between $55 million and $93 million, um, which if you go on a high estimate, which I think you probably should for any government proposal because they they're never really under budget, is um, $93 trillion, I mean. That's more than the worldwide GDP. I mean, that is over 10 years, but that's just that's an impossible proposal. If you want to propose maybe a Bernie Sanders proposal of like $30 million. I think that's more of a talking point, but the Green New Deal as it's proposed with its cost maybe of $93 trillion is just unthinkable. And I think it's just a waste of time um, for both Democrats and Republicans to talk about it, at least that one. Yeah, so that's interesting. I guess the argument from the perspective of like Green New Deal supporters from, from what I've heard at least is that I guess there's a really good invest return on investment like that 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 entire like that ridiculous uh, pay, uh price will be paid for by itself but yeah so like do you, are there any other more realistic policies because i think a lot of people just support the green new deal because it's the only major proposal right now like are there any more i guess conservative friendly proposals that you've seen that you think that are way more realistic than the green new deal they get like bipartisan I mean support 
one more attack on the Green New Deal before I get onto that. It's also including like the way it the Green New Deal is accomplished is through like a ton of very socialized programs. Like it does give free healthcare and right. free college in the AOC yeah. one, which is just like if you're really trying to make a bipartisan agreement, that's something I no, the Republicans are not going to agree on anytime soon or really ever. And with like the current party's view. So, oh, I think it's, I mean I think that's one big that's been one of the biggest um, falls of the Republicans or more moderate is that they haven't made up with a proposal because like you said a lot of more people have defended the Green New Deal because it's really the only big um, like proposal at the time a bunch of people have said like kind of loose ideas like you had Joe Biden with his kind of proposal it's like based on the green new deal no one really knows what's gonna happen and republicans haven't i've heard some like whispers about some that have been like supported by more like like big companies and everything but nothing big which i think is a like a big issue you haven't had any big like republican green new deal i mean if a republican sorry but if a republican did propose something this political environment they would be destroyed by trump basically and then yeah, they would be at risk of re-election, which is a big problem for a lot of Republicans. But another huge controversy about, I guess, the federal government and Republicans and Democrats is the Paris Climate Accord. So oh, President Obama was the president to join it. And then one of the first things President Trump did was leave the uh, agreement. So what do you think about that? Do you think uh, we, should, we should still stay in that agreement or not? Nobody should care about the Paris Climate Accord. If Trump wants to be out of it or someone wants to be in it, Joe Biden wants to be in it, no one should care. I mean, it really doesn't do anything. China and India, all these polluting countries are in it. It's just like a pinky promise to do something about climate change. It really does nothing. Like, it's just a publicity issue, if that really matters. Like, it, it, it's a useless agreement. There's no... If people don't want to be in it, that's fine. Or people want to be in it. It's just, it's useless. I don't care about any talking stuff. Yeah, interesting perspective. So earlier you've mentioned that you attend a lot of national parks. And yeah, so shout out to Theodore Roosevelt for enacting national parks. That was a great proposal. I feel like something like that couldn't get by today. But yeah, so what national parks have you visited? Just like a break from politics, I guess. I mean, I've visited a ton. I mean, I, I, I can't, I probably can't list them all. I've been to, like, ones out west. I've been to, like, Arches. I've been to um, Owl Royal, which you have here in Michigan. Um, I've been California, like, all the, a ton of states. I think over 20 national parks. So it's usually a trip me and my dad go on. So I mean, I, I really do care about, and I, I, I'm, a, like, a big skier, which is obviously um affected by climate change so it is something that i do care about like i understand you wanting to vote on it i just think a lot of democrat proposals how to fix it are a big issue like i think we just need to acknowledge it in a more bipartisan way but yeah i have i do like yeah i, I very much enjoy the outdoors so it's something i do care about okay nice so I guess moving to another talk about topic, let's talk about polarization, which is a huge problem. So it's a good thing that we're, we guess, have different perspectives and we're discussing this really civilly. That's very good. But 
I guess a lot of things that I'm seeing between, I guess, liberals and conservatives are not as civil as this. Like, have you had any, I guess, experiences like that as a conservative in a predominantly, I guess, liberal area? Um, yeah, I mean, our conversation right now is great, productive. I mean, this is what political conversations should be like. But unfortunately, I've had a lot of just internet warriors, I, I would say, that just say, like, I'll, I might post something dumb on social media, which I don't do anymore. But then they'll comment and then you just get into some war with them. But it's a lot of people that are get really emotional about their issues. Um, and a lot of people that just, like they say things they wouldn't say in life. Um, yeah. And they so on really that topic, just... like not like in the pandemic, I guess the only way we can have these discussions is through like messaging and stuff. And I feel like it's so easy to demonize or dehumanize other people on the internet because all you're seeing is like their profile picture, a text box. If you know what I mean, like you're not seeing their kind of like facial expressions and stuff, which is insanely important. So I think it's so easy to demonize the other side in this political environment where it's mostly online. So yeah, I feel like, I guess we're, we both had these problems before. I mean, for me, when I go into more conservative areas as a liberal, maybe I've had these problems and you, I guess in your daily life, because I know most people you know, or most of your friends are, have a different perspective. So yeah, it's a big problem that we really need to resolve. And I guess conversations like these are something that we need more of. I'd fully agree. I mean, people just, like I, I said, people say things that they really just wouldn't say in life. Like I'd get into an argument with someone and then the next day I'd have a school Zoom like, and I'd be a, in a breakout room with them and they'd just act like nothing happened. They'd be all nice. Like I really know they wouldn't say those things in person. So it just makes it, it, it just kind of a waste of time. I mean, it's still good to have these political discussions, but a lot of the ways they're happening like online now really just waste people's time and just really hurt this political climate because people just if you don't see a face um that you're talking to people just say crazy stuff like or stuff that goes completely against other things they say for instance i had some girl who's just like criticizing like body shaming me and then the next like the next day she like was posting all these body positivity or maybe not the next day but like a week later, she's all posting body positivity and how everyone should love themselves on her social media. So it's just like people are just willing to say nasty things on the internet because they don't see a face. Yeah, I guess it's so easy to demonize the other side. Now that we're kind of sorted by groups, like I guess like my political perspective is sorted by the group called liberals and yours is called, labeled by conservatives. And it's just, there's like a lot of social science about like how easy it is to like dehumanize the other side is crazy. It's kind of like sports, like politics shouldn't be like sports, but right now it really is like, like when you're following sports, it's so easy for you to like hate this other team just because of their like group and stuff. And now I feel like politics has become that, which is a huge problem. Note, we hadn't planned to discuss this, but that is one thing um, that we've noticed that people just take up opposite sides just because someone's on the opposite side. Like you see, yeah, that's a huge problem. Every, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In every country where someone has um, like during this pandemic or where the um, party in power has put in restrictions, whether that be on the right or the left, the opposite party has taken the opposite conservative party that's in power now, like more conservative. 
and they put it they put um in lockdowns and like the liberals attack them for it so it's just like people just take the opposite view it's not always dependent on their beliefs which is i think probably the biggest issue right now yeah and i think that's a perfect gateway to the stimulus bill that trump is backing the two thousand dollar checks and there are some republicans who would have opposed that if it was a different like if president obama opposed like promoted a stimulus bill like that i'm pretty sure every single GOP congressman would say that's socialism. And I guess David Perdue has said that a stimulus bill of $2,000 is socialism. So, and now he's backing the bill just because Trump is backing it. So as a conservative, what, what's your like take on the stimulus bill and everything that's going on at Washington about the stimulus bill and stuff? I mean, I think everyone can agree the stimulus bill is a mess. Um, it's just the whole process has been a mess. But on the Republican side, yeah, I mean, I think it's insane. I have a big issue with just giving people checks. I think people, we should invest more money into businesses and like so workers can get money or so people can work safely. Because I, I very much disagree with just giving people money for no reason. That's just devaluing someone's hard-earned labor. Well, there is a there is a re- there is a reason for the money, so it's not yeah. no, no reason. I, yeah, I I mean I fully realize that. I'm just saying I disagree with that. But on the other hand, I mean, giving people like you were saying that all these people were opposed to the two thousand dollars because that is it does seem a lot like socialism. But just because they're just because Trump said it, they're all now fa- favoring it. I think it's a big issue in the Republican Party that. A lot of these people are really not conservatives anymore. They're becoming very liberal, or they're not liberal, Trump's, but just wishy-washy or there whatever. Needs like whatever new political, there needs to be like a new political ideology named after Trump, basically. Because like, he's not completely a conservative, but it's, it's really interesting, I guess, his political philosophies and stuff, how they're sometimes contradictory, but yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, he's conser- he's more much more conservative than he is liberal. I, I don't think we can argue that. But a lot yes, of his things... Yeah, we can all agree on that, for sure. I, I think it can be summed up in most cases on what, like, a few things Trump has stayed consistent on. But most things is just getting people, getting his base to like them, which I think is a big issue of Trump. It's just, it, it's been really... I've been really mad with the end of Trump's presidency, and I think this is one of the biggest things. Yeah, so that's interesting perspective on the stimulus bill. So another big problem, I guess, with Congress and the stimulus bill kind of emanates this is the dysfunctionally the dysfunctionality of Congress, which seems like nothing can get done. Like the last time a major bill was passed was when Barack Obama signed Obamacare in I think two thousand nine or two thousand ten when. He had basically 60 Democratic senators, so he uh, passed the filibuster. But it seems like nothing has gotten done since then, basically. I mean, there's been a few like minor pieces of legislation, like Trump's tax cuts or things Obama has accomplished, too. But, yeah, so why do you think like, it seems like Congress can get nothing done? Because only 10% of Americans actually have faith in Congress right now, or at least the House of Representatives. I saw that in a recent poll. So why do you think that is? Well, I think a lot of times it does go down to the political polarization. A lot less people are voting across the aisle, I feel like, now than they were before. Um, And just people don't want to... We're just getting so polarized. Like, I think it... it, We're just getting too polarized. People aren't wanting to talk to the other side. Because I don't think polarization alone is that much of an issue. Like, having 
strongly different views. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but just that you're not willing to talk about them and try to meet in the middle. Cause I think that's one of the most important things about government. Like as much as I would love to have a bunch of very conservative things thrown in, I think the more important thing for the country is that we compromise. And I think like things like the filibuster and it, I think it probably does need to be fixed, but having 60 votes where you can get more of a wide agreement. So the majority of the country agrees on something, I think is a better, I think it's, it's just important to have compromise and, um, Congress and in politics, period. But it's just, it's not working well. I mean, something has to be done with Congress right now. Yes, I have to agree with that. I mean, Congress is in a very bad position. And I think there's some blame to go on both sides. However, I've heard this argument from a very notable political scientist, um, Norman Nordstein, who's saying that it was mainly the GOP's fault. And he's like a bipartisan uh, political scientist, by the way. But I feel like his argument is basically that since Obama won the presidency, the GOP was like scornful of compromise since then. I mean, they basically tried to block them on every bill. And then after uh, the 2010 midterm election, they took the House. And after that, Obama couldn't do anything, basically. And then that kind of led to uh, President Trump, too, that like political environment where nothing could get done. And then Trump just came in as an outsider. So I guess a lot of people were fed up with career politicians who weren't uh, delivering their promises or getting anything done. But there is some blame to go on both sides. For example, um, it was uh, Democratic leader Harry Harry Reid who got rid of the filibuster for, I think it was circuit court appointments. But in his defense, that was because the Republicans who had a minority in the Senate, the Republicans who had a minority were able to block all of Obama's nominations just because of the filibuster for those. And then Mitch McConnell later lowered it after Trump took power. So then for the Supreme Court nominations, that really hurt Democrats. And because of that decision, like Trump and McConnell were able to, I guess, get very extreme judges into the courts. So, yeah, but there is a problem with the filibuster. I think we can all agree on that. But if we look, if we got rid of the filibuster completely, then in 2016 or sorry, 2017, Trump would have been able to do whatever he wanted. Like he had, I think, 52 Republican senators. He would have been able to do anything. I, I think a lot of Democrats don't realize that when they say we should abolish the filibuster. Like, yeah, I mean, I, we definitely need to reform the filibuster. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, if you can go to a system where it's just whoever's in power basically can get whatever they want done and there's no, like, limit to that, you're just going to have a bunch of... Yeah, we'd be screwed, basically. And, and like, a Trump presidency, you would have just a ton of very conservative things, and then you turn around and and a Biden thing, you would just have a bunch of liberal policies. I mean, it's just an endless cycle. I think one of the best things for America is actually if you have, like, a more split vote, so then you do have to compromise, but there obviously is a limit to... um compromise like you were saying about the circuit judges so it's just it's a very it's a complicated issue yeah it's very complicated and yeah it's it's a huge problem we'll have to resolve um i don't i personally don't think we should get rid of the filibuster i think we should lower the threshold to 55 votes because like i mean 60 votes is ridiculous like it's nearly impossible for either party to get 60 60 senators of their party in our current political environment like that's basically impossible. And I feel like a lot of Democrats now wish Obama had taken advantage of that time when he was first elected. I mean, he literally had 60 Democrats with him in the Senate, which is crazy. 
like thinking about that now, I could, I could like now <laughs> Democrats are struggling to hold on to the Senate or even take the Senate. And yeah, Obama had two, uh, like 60 and the only major thing he passed was Obamacare. But in his defense, he inherited like the Great Recession and a few difficult foreign conflicts. So he didn't have a lot of time to be focusing on bills. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting issue. I guess the founders, I mean, I think we all respect the founders, obviously, but they've made a lot of mistakes because their political system that they developed was based on having the North and the South agreeing on it, which has caused a lot of unforeseen problems for, I guess, the future generations in our new political environment. The founders weren't perfect, I mean, for sure. Yeah, obviously. But it did, they, they, I think they did put it, they obviously did do a pretty darn good job. I mean, there's a reason... Our constitution has lasted. A lot of people have a lot of issues with it, but it's lasted and it's done a pretty darn good job for this many hundreds of years. I mean, you still need to respect them for that. And I respect that they want compromise. Like they realize that just a simple majority in everything is not going to work all the time. So I, I do think they obviously are not perfect, but they're just about as close to perfect as can be. Yeah, but I guess a huge problem with their system, in my eyes at least, is that like a party that constitutes a minority of the population can still control all three branches. Cause just look at the 2018 midterm election, for example. So Democrats did flip the House, but they had to win by like a landslide. They won by like 10 points from the popular vote because and so they had them to get that many votes because of gerrymandering and geography, how Republicans are more spread out through rural areas, whereas Democrats are concentrated. And then with the Senate, now the Senate obviously gives equal representation. So uh, because of that, Republicans had the Senate, even though they had a minority of the votes by like millions of votes. And then the presidency, obviously, President Trump lost the popular vote by a large margin. And because of that, they can control the Supreme Court, which wasn't supposed to be political, political at all. The founders did not envision the Supreme Court to be a political institution, but it's become that. And now the Republican Party, who have minority of the population, have been able to basically take over our government. I mean, those, and then the Supreme Court has been giving them good decisions on gerrymandering and voting rights that have helped them stay in power. So it's, I think that's the biggest flaw with our political system, in my opinion. Um, well, on what you were just saying, I mean, on gerrymandering, let's, I, I, I know Republicans do, I think everybody does it, though. I mean, look at Chicago, look at Maryland. I mean, look at some of these places. So, in my opinion, um, gerrymandering isn't really a partisan issue, but I really don't think the founder, no. the fact, yeah, the founder, yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, lately you can blame Republicans more than Democrats. I think that's like a fact, but yeah, both parties have had a history of it for sure. But I really think the founders shouldn't have given politicians the power to draw political boundaries. I think that was a huge mistake with the House. Because in 2012, the midterm election, um, Democrats got a million more votes in the House elections than Republicans, but they still uh, didn't flip the House back blue, which doesn't make any sense because the House is supposed to, I guess, represent population purely. So yeah, gerrymandering is a huge problem though. And giving politicians the power to draw districts is a huge mistake, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, another point I heard you talking about is the Supreme Court and how that's become political. I'd actually argue that that's more a Democrats making it political. Um, you can say, you know, it was Trump trying to grab ACV and everything. And I think there is a decent argument for that. 
But I think you also need to look at, I think Republican or more conservative judges or more traditionalist judges have voted a lot less on like together than, um, than ones appointed by Democrats. So I think that shows that they're being less political. They're just being, they're, they're, they're voting. They, they still vote together, but they vote, they don't always vote. Like the three Democrat judges vote much more like statistically. I don't know the exact statistics, but they vote together much more of the time than um, all the conservative judges than Republicans are. So I think there is, I don't think it's Republicans that have made this a political issue. I'd say it's more Democrats. I mean, I honestly think that it was like kind of a gradual process and then it was just amplified by Mitch McConnell and Trump. Because I feel like the problem of the Supreme Court becoming a political institution became before uh, Trump was the president, before Mitch McConnell took power as the majority leader. But I mean, you do have to admit that when Mitch McConnell refused to even like have a hearing with Obama's uh, nominee of Merrick Garland, who is objectively a moderate, like that was a huge push uh, into, I guess, the direction that the court is in now, which is not great. And then with Brett Kavanaugh and ACB, they're both like very radical. I mean, I think objectively speaking, a lot of uh, political scientists like to rank, um, or they, based on the vote, past voting records, they, I guess, rank um, Supreme Court justices on a uh, scale, kind of like the ones we see, we can take like online tests, like based on how liberal or how conservative they are. And it seems to me that I guess some of Trump's more recent nominations are a lot more conservative than uh, Obama's or even Clinton's are liberal. And yeah, so I think that's a huge problem. And the thing is, like Mitch McConnell has been violating a lot of traditional norms that aren't official laws, like related to this judicial process. For example. Um, like, at least with lower courts, like, I think the circuit courts, I think you need, like, like traditionally, this was a norm, this was an official law, but you needed the two uh, senators in that state to approve the nomination, but McConnell, like, violated that, and that's one of the reasons why Trump was able to put a lot of really conservative judges that will be in the Senate, or, sorry, be in the, be in the Supreme Court or ju Judicial Court or lower courts for generations, which is a big problem. So I guess there's a lot of blame to go on both sides for this. I'd say for sure. I mean, I, I, I think Mitch McConnell and how he handled the, you know, Merrick Garland with in conjunction, like how he handled Merrick Garland. If you want to make, if you want to say that you cannot appoint one in the final year as a president, that's okay. If you want to have that belief, I think it's a wrong belief, but if you want to have that belief, that's fine. But then you can't be going around and be hypocritical. Um, and, do the opposite with ACB. Um, I think that's that's fully wrong, but it's definitely, I mean, you still have a bunch of issues on both sides. So I'd agree with that. Yeah, for sure. So I guess, do you want, let's talk about, I guess, the presidential election. So there's been a lot of surprises, but one debate we've been having lately is about photo IDs. So do you think that we should like have mandate photo IDs to participate in elections? Like, what's your take on this? I say 100% mandate photo IDs if the um, state government is willing. To, I mean, it should be a state issue. This shouldn't be mandated on the national. Yeah, yeah. Level, the Constitution but, states that the elections are up to basically the state government, so it's it's already. Yeah, a state which issue. I think is a a good thing because the more spread out you put it, 
it makes it a lot harder to try to like humongous because the more localized you have it, you have to do certain things at each local level, which just makes it more difficult. So I think that's a very good thing that it's at the state level. But at the state level, I do think there should be photo IDs. I think it's it, it you Democrats will point to um there not being very many legal incidents of found um voter like um voter fraud at the polls. Um, but you then you have to ask yourself how are those actually found out? You have a ton of them going over people's heads. Like the New York um Department of Investigation investigated New York and I believe in um mayor's race and they went in and they requested ballots of people that are either dead or moved out of state or um or were in prison so were not legal to vote in that state and all those people received ballots and so the fear from a lot of republicans um is proven i think true in that um piece of evidence so i think it's just a reasonable thing that if the the um, state is willing to pay for your photo ID because you need a photo ID to do a lot of other things in life. I think that's not voter suppression. I think that's something to do to protect the integrity of our election. Um, I don't think that should be any issue. I think that should be a bipartisan idea, but it's obviously not. But I know you have a different take on that. So Yeah, so um, I, I actually agree with the, the, I guess, talking point that if the government provides these IDs, then we should mandate these laws to, I guess, I guess, to have more safe elections. But a lot of the laws that, especially in uh, Republican-held states, like in the South, particularly, that have a history of voter suppression, that these laws are kind of ridiculous. Like, it's actually kind of difficult to get, get these photo IDs. So, obviously, I'm pretty sure all states allow your driver's license, which they should, and if they don't, that's super dumb. But other states, like Texas, for example, that you can use your gun license in Texas, but you can't use your student ID, which I think it's a huge problem because young voters tend to vote um, Democratic. So it makes sense that, I guess this is one of the policies that are in Texas, which is controlled by Republicans. But I think the main argument that I guess Democrats have against these photo ID laws is that a lot of them are like designed to make it harder for poor people to vote, which I guess they traditionally depends on more demographics, but a lot, I think a lot of poor people vote Democratic. So I guess there are a lot of issues with photo ID laws, but I do agree that if the government can provide them and if they're very accessible, like not like a, a driver's license, which not everybody can drive, obviously, then I think we should enact these laws. But also some sources say they're not like necessary, like Washington Post show that there's only been like 40 cases of um, voter impersonation over out of like a billion votes. But like you said, other studies have shown that it's pretty easy to, I guess, commit voter impersonation. So it's an interesting topic, but yeah. So I guess yeah, well, that's like saying all the people caught with speeding tickets or all the people that sped any, like all the people that were on the road speeding in a year. Like it's very hard to catch everybody. So I don't think that's just saying, oh, there was only 31 and just saying, oh, there's this, this little is actually that great of a talking point. I think you should actually look at how like easy it is to um vote illegally and i think like you obviously agreed with what i was saying like that if we provide people these photo ids in a way to get them that it's not voter suppression i think that should just be the point i think that should be the agreement across all of politics but it's clearly not but i think we can 
I think everybody can make an agreement with. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. So, I guess another big thing about this 2020 election is that Democrats got. Like, I think it feels like third party candidates kind of assisted Democrats with this election. For example, in Georgia, the Libertarian candidate, I think it was Joe Jorgensen or something like that. I think they got like thousands of votes. Then, if there wasn't a Libertarian candidate, um, Trump probably would have won Georgia. As same with Arizona, maybe even Wisconsin. So, yeah, what's your thought on these down ballot? Sorry, not down ballot. Um, these third party candidates helping Democrats basically. I mean, they don't always help them, but just in this particular election, they did help Joe Biden particularly. Well, it's really interesting because in the past, it's been third party candidates that have really hurt Democrats. Like Hillary would have won if and Gore would have won if people weren't voting for the Green Party. But it obviously hurt Trump here. So that is in a lot of states, the Green Party was not actually on the ballot um, because then the Democrats sued them. I'm not completely. I probably shouldn't be talking about it because I have not done enough research on the issue, but that's what I've seen. Um, but it, it is dumb in my mind to vote for a third-party candidate in our current system. I'm not going to try to prevent people from doing it, but I think for a presidential race, it's an idiotic thing to do. Because um, if you're a libertarian, you're obviously very conservative, and to let Joe Biden take office, which who is pretty darn progressive, it's get it just doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah. Yeah, so I think we're going to wrap up the episode here. Um, it was a very good discussion with Joe. It's, it's gone a little long, but that's okay. So yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, so we're going to end the stream here. See you, everyone later.